Get some recipes. Yeah. Yes, sir. I can't believe you've done this. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming life's challenges. The Evolve community is your ultimate destination for personal growth and evolution. True to form, I'm, I get to continue to be the dumbest person in the room. That's fantastic. Thank you. Did you ever get a, uh, uh, a quantum physical uh, explanation for how to uh, bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Uh, so, Ron, like we were talking about, we'd like to start our show by asking our guests, what is inspiring you right now? Is there some music you're listening to, a book you're reading, or a person in your life? What's inspiring Ron Carpenter today? Uh, what's inspiring me these days are my uh, my my youngest children. I've got a 26-year-old from my time when we were, uh, when I was working with you, but uh, I've remarried. Um, my first wife passed away uh, 16 years ago now. Um, and I got remarried. I've got a 10-year-old son and six-year-old twin boys. So they inspire me every day. They keep me young. Um, I finally get to be the sports dad that I uh-huh, that cool. I wasn't able to be with my first child. My 26-year-old <laughs> awesome. didn't play sports. So now we go to track okay. practice, baseball practice, basketball practice. So my kids, my kids uh, are inspiring me these days. Love that's it. awesome. I love it. You well, said you have a 26-year-old? Got a 26-year-old. Yes, sir. Uh, like you're like you look like you're 28. You had it when you were two. <laughs> I am. Jeez, I appreciate miles. that. The, the check is in the mail. I am 51. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, you, Ron, you look the same today as the day that I met you. I don't know how many years ago. 20, 15, 20 years wow. ago. Yeah, it was, it was you found the ago. fountain of youth, my friend. Yeah, well, Ron, you, you, are in you have as well, sir. So you likewise. and I are in college at the same time. Ron, I'm 48, so we were in college in that same. Yeah, yeah. Same span, yeah. Yeah, I got to thank my mom and my dad for the genetics, so I'm happy about that. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think we all all agree uh, that kids can be very inspirational, so that's great that uh, your kids are inspiring you. We are all fathers on the podcast uh, today. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That's great. Well, and with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that challenges personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. And the all-star chef from Oberlin, Ohio, is my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Yeah, I'm trying to make it feel good here. Miles, and, Miles uh, your, your little uh, on-screen things, you know, this isn't like a, it's just an audible i mean you could dance you could do whatever you want but it's we're the only ones seeing it so yeah yeah. i know i was for you guys (laughs) okay thanks for the dance thanks for remember remember the the hollywood squares when they would introduce each person (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but hollywood squares was television and coming off of a strong win drag racing the strip in las vegas nevada this weekend as Uh, my co-host casey mitchell uh welcome casey thank you Yes. You've been out hustling people on the strip. You know, it's funny you say that because there's actually a big car show in town right now. There's people, <laughs> nice. there's people, there's people burning it everywhere. So it's oh, kind of funny. I love it. Yeah. And coming to you from the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Today, our guest is Ron Carpenter. Uh, Ron is a four year letter winner, a three year all Mac winner and an All-American and was voted to the All-Millennium team in 2000 at Miami University. Ron graduated from Miami University in 1993 with a major in urban and regional planning and a minor in urban design. Upon graduation, Ron signed a free agent contract with the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL, where he surprised many by making the team as an undrafted free agent and beating out a three-year vet. After spending one year with the Vikings and the Cincinnati Bengals and two seasons with the New York Jets, Ron finally joined the St. Louis Rams. Ron and the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl in 2000, where they beat the Tennessee Titans 23-16 in one of the most exciting Super Bowl games ever. 
<laughs> following the Super Bowl winning season, <laughs> Ron left the NFL uh, and continued his career in professional football by playing in the Extreme Football League, the XFL, NFL Europe, and Arena Football League, or the AFL. Ron has played in championship games in all four leagues, winning twice the Super Bowl and the XFL championship game. After his playing days were over, Ron became the defensive backs coach at Princeton High School in Cincinnati, Ohio for seven years, defensive backs coach and special teams coordinator for Central State University of Ohio for two years, as well as the defensive backs coach for both Miami University in Ohio and the University of Central Arkansas. Through his travels to different leagues and different teams, Ron has seen the various intricacies and daily processes of professional sports franchises, the delicate balance needed to run and coach a successful team, and has learned how to mesh, mesh different personalities within a team to produce a champion. He knows what it takes to be a winner. In addition to being a great athlete and also a dedicated, uh, Ron has also dedicated himself to his studies and completed a master's of education in athletic administration in 2017. And Ron is currently the assistant athletic director at Charles A. Tindley Accelerated School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Ron has a 26-year-old son by the name of Cameron, 10-year-old son by the name of Aiden, and twin... This is, I'm sure these two keep you uh, going. Twin six-year-olds named Aubrey and Dawson, and he is married to Tamara Carpenter. Ron Carpenter, welcome to the Evolve Podcast. We are excited to have you. Hey, Ron. I appreciate it. You have twin boys. A friend of mine has twins. He said that the first two years of of their life, he never slept. Is that a true... Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they, were, they, were born, they were born in uh, Arkansas uh, when I was at the University of Central Arkansas. Yeah. I lived in Little Rock in Conway, Arkansas. It's 30 yeah. minutes up. Yep. And I would be up all night trying to do the husbandly thing to make sure my wife got oh, rest. I would get man. up in bed, yeah. get two mm. hours of sleep, and then drive up to Central Arkansas. The yep. white lines on the road would start to move and mesh. <laughs> oh. We're finally the head coach, Steve Campbell. I, I love him for this. He, Every time I would come up, he would look at my face. Yep, you need two hours. Go in your office, turn off the lights, and go to sleep on your on your couch. And he let me do that. Yo. It was great. So, yeah, what a great guy. What, what years were you at Central Arkansas? Um, 20, let me see, 14 and 15. 2014 oh, okay. and 2015. I lived in Maumelle, Arkansas for a little okay. bit. Okay. I know my exactly oldest, where that is. My oldest was, yeah, it was right by Conway. My oldest was yeah. born in Little Rock. So, yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah, small world. It is. Yeah, great connections there. Yes. Well, Ron, very few people can say that they've ever played in a, a championship game, and you've played in four and one twice. Uh, let's start with uh, probably the biggest one. Talk about what it felt like to win the Super Bowl. Uh, it was uh, the greatest feeling that I'd ever had next to getting married and having my kids. That's um, awesome. And, and it's mm. totally different, um, but you know, those were the some of the greatest things, the, the getting married and having my kids. But the Super Bowl – I played football since I was six years old. It was it was a, a culmination of uh, hard work, uh, people doubting my size, my ability to play, uh, all those things, uh, and you know having to be, walk on in college and be a free agent to the NFL. So it was just a, a gratifying culmination of all of that, and uh, I, it was the most exciting. Super happy, super afraid because it was uh, you know a couple seconds left and you know inches yeah. away from him scoring a oh touchdown. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, to to yep. an, uh, an emotional tears and crying on the field like a big baby. So it was it was great. <laughs> and for for those that have not seen that that uh, Super Bowl or don't recall it, I mean it truly yeah. was just an amazing thing to watch it right oh, at the end awesome. there. So I can imagine. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, quarterback. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot his name that quickly. Um, Steve McNair, rest his soul. God rest his soul. Yep. Uh, he he single handedly almost willed them to a Super Bowl uh, yep. victory. On that last drive, we could not tackle him. Yeah. He, he would scramble, throw three people off. Uh, it, we were dog tired. Um, and luckily, time ran out. Because <laughs> right? had they had one more play, they probably would have scored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah. of games uh, end like that. Luckily, the time ran out. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. We were on our heels. Yeah. We, 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 we went up and down the field in the first half. In the second half, we just couldn't punch it in when we got – uh, inside the 20s and, yeah. and it just kept the score low. Uh, we, we out, we outpaced them, um, as far as yardage, 
Right. But we just couldn't score. And if you let a team stick around that long, they, they yep. make you pay for it in the end. And they almost made us pay for it. Yeah. That was a And that yeah, was one of the most high powered offenses like in the history of Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Guys, yeah. Uh, we, we figured we figured as a defense, if we hold a team to 14 to 16 points, we win easily. Well, oh, that yeah. day we held them to 16 points, but we couldn't score points either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you needed fun, that, uh, that, final that was one play. of the best Super Bowls I've ever watched. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. great. It was awesome. Now, I think that, I, I mean, obviously that was a great accomplishment, but Miles brought something up uh, that I didn't know about you that maybe is an even greater accomplishment. Okay. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> okay, so the, I guarantee you this is not going to be one of your greatest accomplishments, but because of my relationship to this, I thought it was so much fun, so fun. that, okay. that you're, a, you're a self-taught barber. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. So, because so, I, I was telling Steve, you know, I grew up in uh, in Harlem and, mm-hmm. you know, the barbershop was the place to go for politics, sports, local mm-hmm. gossip. And yes. I hadn't been to one in a long time because I cut my own hair. But in the last yeah. week, I took my son to the barber yeah. and and then decided to sit in a chair because the one guy had was open. So I sat with the guy and said, what could you do with this? He said, I could fade it put a couple of lines in it. So right. I hadn't been back to the barbershop in almost 30 years, except for yeah. last week. And then I was yeah. reading some stuff online where you said, oh, you're self-taught. Yeah, I was forced to, to cut my own hair. I haven't been to a barber. Only time I've really gone since I've been an adult is when I got married, just because I wanted a really, really fresh cut and didn't, didn't have <laughs> enough time to do it myself. But when I was uh, 10th grade, I believe, my mom said uh-huh. she was not paying for haircuts anymore. <laughs> you know, she, worked, she worked she worked multiple jobs and she's like i'm not doing this every two weeks you need to learn how to cut your own hair so she bought me some clippers and the first month of cutting my own hair i wore hats to school <laughs> but, eventually, <laughs> but eventually eventually i said okay i, I got to figure out how to do this and i learned how to do it so uh, when i was in college i would cut my teammates hair uh my rookie year my first two years in the league during training camp i would cut uh, my teammates hair in the nfl um and then i started to realize my time for uh was more important I, I much wanted more i wanted more sleep during that uh that rest period in between two day practices than i wanted to earn yeah. five dollars so right so i stopped cutting, i stopped cutting hair. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome that's good stuff yeah, yeah. well so be, being a uh a self-taught barber may not be the the highlight of your life but uh certainly <laughs> is an accomplishment <laughs> uh, ron back in 2016 fox uh, sports had published an article uh, that featured you talking about both the NFL championship and then you going into the XFL. And yes. if I understand right, this was the only XFL championship game. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And they were, so they were, they were, they were potentially going to have the second uh, this past season, but COVID stopped yep, that football right. season. So, that's right. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. We've got, we've got the only one so far. Okay, so then, um, and, and you'd mentioned before we started uh, the show that I thought you were the only one that had won both an XFL championship and an NFL championship, but you're one of three people. Is that right? Correct, correct. Me, okay. uh, Tommy Maddox. Uh, Tommy Maddox won it with the Pittsburgh Steelers and with us, the LA Extreme. And then Bobby Singh, uh, Bobby was, uh, he was on the practice squad with the Rams, uh, but he still got a ring anyway. Uh, so right. he was on the practice squad with the Rams. He's a uh, offensive lineman, I believe. Um, and then he okay. was with us with L.A. Um, and he got the XFL championship. But then he also, uh, after the XFL, went to Canada and he won a great cup championship as well. So he's the only player with all three. Wow. And us three are the uh, only three players uh, who have uh, Super Bowl and XFL. Okay. Well, that's pretty impressive. So talk about the uh, – what. When you went from the uh, from the Super Bowl and you won in the XFL, what was the difference between winning in in each one of those leagues? It's funny you ask that question because I was talking to someone about that. Um, the Super Bowl was the ultimate, and I'm not knocking the XFL, but um, I was considered the old guy when I was with the XFL. Me and Tommy Maddox <laughs> okay. and some of the other guys, we were considered the old guys who had been in the NFL um, and were you know doing this. So. When when that happened, I didn't I didn't I kind of sat back and I watched the younger guys um, start crying and you know because that was their first championship, so it was it was it 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 wasn't 
less for me because it was the XFL. It was just I had a different reaction because I'd already won the biggest prize. Um, yeah. So I was able to just sit back and enjoy it. I played a lot more uh, in the uh, XFL championship game than I did in the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I felt a whole lot more a part of it. And I was able to just sit back and uh, enjoy and watch. I mean, we played at the Coliseum in L.A. Um, so those fans were uh, absolutely nuts and, and enjoying the entire thing. So it, I was just able to sit back. I guess that's the best way to say it. I was able to sit back and say, hey, this was pretty cool. This this is this is the XFL championship. Don't know how many we're going to have, how many shots we're going to have at it. This is my second championship in less than 12 months. This is pretty cool. So that because is- they happened so back to back, because literally after the after the uh, Super Bowl, not long after that, um, we were in training camp for the XFL and all that. So I was kind of worn out back to back seasons. I, literally, I went from I think I went from the Super Bowl to the Arena League uh, with the Nashville Cats. We played in a championship um, and lost. And then before the next arena season was about to start, I was in the XFL and we played in that. Oh, I didn't realize it was that quick. Yeah, It was three seasons back to back to back. And it wasn't three years. It it was like within months. So I was exhausted. So when we won that one, (laughs) I kind of sat back and and just uh, and just watched and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, I get tired getting up and going to the uh, refrigerator. So playing three seasons back to back would have beat me up. <laughs> yeah, it, it was rough. I, I, I had a lot of fun. We we lost the uh, championship game by a touchdown in the Arena League, um, and that that was going to be a huge story because we were the favorite in the league, and uh, we lost by a, I believe a touchdown, really really close. So I could have had three championships back to back to back, and it would have been it would have been awesome. Well, yeah, I'm I'm sure uh, looking back on it now, you're uh, uh, tough tough to not win that one like any game, but uh, having two championships is uh, is not too bad. Now, you mentioned this in the uh, before we started the show, uh, you do have the XFL ring with you, uh, but the Super Bowl ring sits with your mom. Is that right? Yes, um, my mom was my biggest fan. Um, mom was quote unquote, mom and dad, you know, dad wasn't mm. around much. So uh, she's been, she went to every little league football game from the time I started playing at six, every college game um, and not only home games, but away games. Wow. Uh, and awesome. as many uh, NFL games that she could make it to, uh, she went to uh, arena games. She would come down to Nashville when I was with the Nashville cats. Um, mm. So she's, she's traveled around the country supporting her oldest child. So um, once I started, once I got into college football coaching, I didn't want to drag it around with me. I didn't want to take the chance of losing it, having it stolen. Um, so I, I said, hey, mom, why don't you keep this? And it belongs to you now. So she has it. Uh, she's put it in a safety deposit box. She had it with her for a while. I begged her. I said, no, we don't want anybody to come into the house. Just go ahead and put it in the safety deposit box. <laughs> she's she's wearing it around on the finger and showing it off. She, she right? was showing it for a while. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So, so mom, yeah, mom was obviously a great leader in your life and an inspiration. And I know that's something you and I've talked about before. What a what a support and an inspiration uh, for you uh, she was. So she's the MVP and the coach uh, in your life. We, we say we say hi, mom, on TV for a reason. <laughs> yeah, right. for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. And Ron, that makes me think back to a conversation that we had years ago um, where you were telling me about the difference between playing for um, and maybe we'll get, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I guess playing for the Bengals and then going and playing for the Rams that mm-hmm. when you, um, went from the Bengals to the Rams, you said, you know, Steve, there was a big difference between the leadership on the team, how we were treated as a team, and mm-hmm. then how that then created more unity on the team. Yes. Um, so talk about the difference in leadership, uh, uh, between those two teams, what was different and how did it bring the team together? Um, it starts at the top. So the the organization as a whole, um, it was no secret back then in the uh, mid to late 90s, the Bengals just were, were they were running their organization like a business as opposed mm. to a, um, a, a, a very successful franchise. When I say like a business, uh, bottom line was bottom line. So, for instance, when it came to lunch, you know, you get lunch at every NFL facility, breakfast and lunch. Uh, and most times dinner now. Our lunch was uh, cold cut sandwiches, Grippo's potato chips, and something to drink. Mm. Wow. Whereas if you go to other places like the Rams, our lunch was 
filet mignon, um, salmon, you know, whatever you wanted. The chefs behind the uh, behind the uh, grill would you know get you whatever you wanted. So there was a noticeable difference uh, when it came to uh, how much they were putting into uh, how they were treating the players. So it started there. Because of that, the veterans that were there didn't necessarily want to be there. Not only you know was the lunch what it was, but how much players were getting paid from the franchise was considerably less than what it was in the rest of the league. So it was very hard to get free agents yeah. to come to Cincinnati. Uh, when I went to the Rams, totally different. Georgia Frontieri, um, she went all out. Every, everything from breakfast, lunch, dinner to um, accommodations, the, the way the facility looked. When I was with the Bengals, we were in the, uh, the, um, the industrial district of downtown Cincinnati. Uh, these really, really old factories in uh, sometime around noon, one o'clock when the smokestacks would go off, they would shoot something in the air and it yeah. would come down as if it was snowflakes, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And we were breathing that stuff in. So it was, I it was remember bad. that. Yeah, I remember seeing that and that is, yeah, it's a horrible uh, experience. You didn't know if it was snowing or if you had uh, asbestos coming down on top of your head. So it, it was, right. just, it was really, really bad. Uh, and then, you know, again, when I went to the Rams, total opposite, I mean, Top of the line facility. Um, everyone's professional. Now, don't get me wrong. The the coaches were professional with the Bengals. The athletic training staff was professional. Uh, but when it came when it came to other things, you could just see there were there were corners cut. Um, and because of that, you saw what you saw. Now, when Marvin Lewis came, I was already gone. But when he came, some of that stuff changed. And Marvin Lewis had a lot to do with uh, going to it to the uh, ownership and saying, "Hey." We need to do better. We need to do this. And now, now they have a facility that's still downtown, but it's right next to the stadium. You don't have to worry about the fallout from, from chimney stacks and all that as much anymore. <laughs> um, Literally I, the fallout. I, yeah. <laughs> the fallout. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. I've been in the facility. The facility is great. Uh, things look great. Uh, I'm told they're treated much better now. So, uh, but it was, it was, it was pretty bad. We, the Bengals had not only had a reputation for losing, but also had a reputation for uh, not taking care of the players. Well, and it's interesting to think about that. I, I love what you said. It's a top down, right? Any leadership position. I don't care if you're a leader of a team, a leader of a business or a leader in your family or amongst your friends, the standards that you set and that you allow uh, are what will dictate the tone of the team. So, or the tone of the family, whatever you want to call it. And so right. from the top, that tone is set. I will allow this. I won't allow that. And if you really take care of the people that are uh, with you as a servant leader, you're going to get a lot more uh, results. So exactly. how did that trickle down to the rest of the team? When you were at the St. Louis Rams and you had great leadership there, um, it, it, it wasn't just about filet mignon, right? It was right. about right. the right. overall tone and it was about the right. overall feel. But what did that do to you and to the rest of the team in terms of your overall standards that you set for yourselves we we felt valued and we felt appreciated and because of that to this day we'll still do it even though they're not in st louis anymore we do anything for that organization um it, mm. it was everything from uh miss frontier um she was a sweetheart she loved us she would always give us give us hugs um she made herself available she was around she just wasn't an absentee owner uh to dick vermil right now dick vermil said hey guys We've got a um, alumni football game. We want you guys to come play. We will run through a wall for Dick Vermeil. I mean, mm. he he was he was everything that happened with the, the year before, where we had three day practices and guys were talking about boycotting. Um, the reason why we feel about we feel the way we feel about him now is because he listened to us. And, we, and you know, we told him, "Say, hey, coach, it's you know, it's not 1985 in Philadelphia anymore. Things are a little bit different." And he listened. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't uh, he didn't just say, no, we're, we're doing it my way. And because he listened, yeah. we knew he had our, our best interest at heart. And, you know, luck of the draw. Thank you, Indianapolis, for giving us Marshall Falk. Uh, Orlando Pace right. was healthy. We got, we got Adam, Adam Zimmer, uh, Timmerman from uh, um, Green Bay. And then we got uh, that cast of receivers, Torrey Holt, Oz Akeem. Uh, yeah. Everybody came in that year. Uh, Tony Horn. And everything just meshed. Because we the year before – we were being, being compared with the Bengals as two of the worst uh, franchises in the decade. It, it was pretty bad. Yeah. And everything came together. We understood that he, he had our best interest at heart. And we went on that tear for that, that year and the next couple of years. 
Um, but because of Dick Vermeil, the other coaching, the rest of the coaching staff, the defensive coordinator, the special teams coordinator, the offensive coordinator, Mike Marks, um, they were great. Um, that trickled down to Kurt Warner and, and, uh, and uh, Marshall Falk and all the leaders, quote unquote, leaders of the team. They took their cues from the top uh, and they led in a servant way. Nobody had egos. If you remember that year, whenever they would talk to Marshall Falk about his great game, he would always defer yeah. to Kurt or the offensive line. When you talk to yeah. the offensive line, they would always defer to uh, to the wide receivers or Marshall or, or Kurt. Uh, when they talked to the defense, rarely because we weren't the big show, <laughs> but when they talked to the defense, <laughs> we were kind of the unknown guys and we deferred to each other. You know, we had a great game because yeah. you know, we did what we did in the secondary because of what the defensive line did. Nobody had an ego and it was the it was the second time in my career I'd been on a team that didn't have ego. First time was with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, hmm. So, so it was, it was, it was great, man. It, it was, we were treated with respect. We were treated with value. And in turn, we gave them everything we had. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I, you talk about how this respect and this cohesiveness, it starts at the top, then it trickles down and then everybody comes together because I think that championship teams, they attract championship people, right? If you're the best, you attract the best around you. And so right. there's this magnetism. There's this thing that happens when you uh, have that you're going to attract, you know, like attracts like. So right. I, I'm with you. I think it does uh, start from the top, but then as it trickles down, it almost becomes this powerful magnet where you get other people around you. Um, yes. Now you, you've gone from being a player in uh, uh, four different leagues, and then you know you played collegiate ball to being a coach yourself. Um, you've seen leadership from both sides. You've seen it from being a coach. You've seen it from being a player. Um, what's a leadership lesson that you took with you when you went from being a player to a coach? What's one of the most important lessons that you carried with you? Most important thing that I learned, um, because we're, you're dealing with a different uh, athlete as far as uh, their mentality these days, as far as, you know, I, I came up in a time where it was okay for a coach to grab your face mask and shake you all kind, all kind of different ways, like a bobblehead dog. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that anymore. And what I realized was... Um, I didn't, I couldn't coach the kids the way I was coached. Yelling and cussing and fussing and all that doesn't translate these days. It shuts kids down. Yeah. Um, so what I learned was if I'm honest with them and tell them what I need from them and promise them that even though I, I, I may get frustrated sometime, I'm never going to uh, down talk you. I'm not, I'm never going to attack your manhood, call you out of name, anything like that. Um, tell me what you did wrong. I'm going to, I see what you did wrong. So we need to be on the same page to make sure that you don't come up with an excuse for why you did what you did. I promise I won't fly off the handle and snatch you out of the game and never play you again. And in that way, you trust me, I trust you, whatever the mistake was, we can get it corrected. We can keep on moving. And I learned that if with, with honesty and, and not fussing and cussing at them, especially the college kids, because they're, they're not itty bitty kids, you know, they're, they're grown men. Um, yeah. Not fussing and cussing at them gets a better result than the actual fussing and cussing. Um, I've had plenty of NFL coaches who would fuss and cuss and they wouldn't get the a good response from the players. I mean, those are, we're grown men now. So it's another grown man fussing and cussing at another grown man. And I had never seen a player come back at a coach the way I would see it happen with the Bengals. And when I was with the Jets, because some of those coaches were fussing and cussing at grown men. Like we're not in college anymore. We're grown. We've got kids just like you. So I learned from that. I, you know, I said to myself, whenever I got into the coaching realm, I would never attack a player like that. Uh, I'm gonna go the opposite way. We're gonna work off of trust, let them know I care. And in that way, they'll be honest and we can get uh, things uh, corrected. And you become a, a servant coach, use the term servant leader before you become a servant coach to the yeah. point now where yeah. I've got college players, former college players who still call me today. Hey, Coach Carr, I've got five kids now. Hey, you were an inspiration. I appreciate the way you treated yeah. me, the way you dealt with me is kind of how I deal with my kids now, that type of thing. So it, it's it's really cool being being quote unquote the old guy now when they call me and talk about <laughs> well you know plus, the efficiency of coaching improves when you just focus on the development of a technique and yeah. the development of an athlete than all yeah. the other fussing and cussing and carrying on yeah and that 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 uh propels the respect and that relationship yeah. so much better i i totally Absolutely. agree with i mean that's your right you're spot on on that yeah 
sir. Yeah, and I think you you brought up a great point where you you are holding your your players accountable by asking them what did they do wrong because right. you already see it, you know it, mm-hmm. but helping them to develop that self awareness. I do the same thing with my kids, where if I see something wrong, I'll say, hey, come here, let's can we talk for a second? Mm-hmm. So we need to get on the same page. And I want to know, um, you know, where's the gap? Where's the opportunity here? Because I think that that self-awareness, that's not something that we just learn all by ourselves. We have to be coached in that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, doesn't this bring up a really, this actually brings up a really interesting point because, and though I'm not a fan of the grabbing, cussing, hollering coach at all, how do you explain? No, really not. How do you explain the fact that, (laughs) <laughs> so many of them had success with that method, but once the dynamics started to change, we start to see success with the people who are coaching like Ron. It, it's yeah. almost like this kind of paradox that there's success on, well, on I think it's how you define, both sides of the ball. Yeah, define that success. Well, we're I just talking about winning yeah. and getting the best out of players. No, I, well, maybe, maybe not. But I think what Ron, I, the message I hear Ron and having walked those shoes also, I'm going to give my best as an athlete, but the relationship side and the buy-in side only goes so far when you want to grab my face mask and disc- and and tell me what a piece of crap I am in front of the whole team. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to do my job. But as soon as the whistle blows and practice is over, I'm never going to think about you again until the whistle blows and practice starts again versus the success of, hey, coach, can we go watch this film in between practices or, hey, coach, or, hey, 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 where that athlete and that coach develop a relationship that breeds even greater success as a human being. I I get what you're saying, Miles, but having having seen and been a, a part of both sides of that, I, mm-hmm. you know, those, those guys that just, they just, those older coaches and stuff, they just, for some reason, they just, they could never make that transition or figure it out. They oh, no, I know. I, yeah. and I agree with you guys. I'm, I'm on this side of the ball. Yeah. I, like I, as a, as an ex-college basketball player, I, I had a couple yeah. of incidents with coaches who get in yeah. my face, but I'm just saying like, if, if say, if we just look at winning as the, the pinnacle of success, right. You know, think about Bobby Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Who was probably one of the most horrible at this hollering stuff, the success he had. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's just, it's, it's almost as an evolved podcast, we're really talking about the yeah. evolution yeah, of absolutely. coaching and the evolution of um, the athlete. You know, once the yeah. athlete yeah. realizes I'm a man, I'm making this much money, get out of my face. And the coaches have to start to change to that. Yep. But yeah. there's success well, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that's what Ron's talking about. I th- uh, with the yeah. evolution he's, he experienced from his perspective, yeah. The, yeah. the negative side and said, hey, I, that's not effective. I'm going to do it a different way. So, right. Ron, as, you have, as you've coached people in this more effective way, from my perspective, I, I think we all agree. Um, yeah. You mentioned before that you get people reaching back out to you and saying, hey, Coach Carp, thanks for what you did. Um, what are some of those life lessons that you're now seeing come back to you from the people that you have coached? What are people taking away from what you coached them on, you know, five or 10 years ago? Um, a lot of the guys that call me are guys that are currently, um, you know, whether they have kids or whether they're coaching some of those lessons of how I coach them, they're, they're trickling down to their kids or to their athletes that they're coaching. Um, okay. Also, uh, marriage. I was I was big on making sure the guys knew because because they would always say, "Hey, you played in the NFL. How many women did you have on the side and all that?" And I and I had to let them know. It's like I, I wasn't that guy. I, I was yeah. I was loyal to my wife. I was loyal to mm-hmm. my marriage. Um, and that's in the end, you you you'll you'll understand when you, I kept telling them when you get older, you'll understand. When you play, that's one thing, but it it, it means absolutely nothing. That that. That's not what life is all about. When you get older and you have a wife and you have kids, you're going to see, oh man, this is what Coach Carp is talking about. And they'll call me, hey Carp, I've been married for seven years now. I know what you mean by when you said you had a, uh, when you have a wife, uh, happy wife, happy life. And I would always say things like that. I would say um, cheaper to keep her. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Play, 
and they had fun playing, but it cost them half of their half of their money and half of their house and half of the, you know, all that. So yeah. and half yeah. of the time they yeah. would have to spend with their kids. So those are the things that are coming back now. Guys that are Coach Carp, I've been married seven years. You know, marriage is tough, but I'm 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 in there. I'm I'm in I'm in it for the long haul. Um, I'm taking I would always tell them, um, you know, we there was always a stereotype that uh black athletes or black, not black athletes, but black men aren't there for their kids. And I was I would always tell them, hey, when if you have these kids be there for your kids, whether the, you and the woman stay together or not, be there for your kids. Um, yeah, some show of us up. Yep. show up. Exactly. And I would tell him, I was like, Hey, my dad wasn't around. So my dad was my mom. She did both jobs. Um, but, a, a, but a, a woman can't teach a man how to be a man. You got to be there to yeah. teach your son. Yeah. If you have a son, how to be a man. Yeah. Um, and if you're, and if you have a daughter, which I don't have any daughters, but I got a bunch of nieces, I would tell them you have to be the example of what your daughter or your niece should look for in a man. Because if, if you're not, then she's going to go, fall for anything and, and, you know, get done wrong and all that. They need those examples. So I would always do that. And then once once I got serious on them, then the rest of practice was just fun time. You know, we have a good time joking and all that. But wow. you know, like I said, I'm getting I'm getting phone calls from guys that just appreciative of how I treated them like men and gave them those type of life lessons. Some of them had that. Some of them didn't. Um, none of them call me. Coach Carpenter, they all call me Carp, Uncle Carp, you know, things like that. So so I, I know in those relationships that I've built with those guys, I had that relationship with my college coach, Terry Hepner. Um, mm-hmm. And that was my example. And I did that for my guys. And I'm currently doing that for the high school kids that I coach right now. Yeah, what a what a great example. I athletes do often have regrets later on with uh, you know mistakes that they make or uh, things that they look back on and they wish they would do different uh, because either they didn't have a coach or they just didn't listen to the coach uh, relative to what their personal life is. Now, Ron, one of the uh, regrets that I think I hear from athletes uh, often is that when they hang up the jersey for the last time, they don't really realize that they're hanging up the jersey for truly for the last time. Right. Um, and they realize that maybe there were some things that they took for granted during their playing career. Any regrets on your end? Anything as you look back that you say, man, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have appreciated that more. Well, I'll say this. When I hung up my uh, cleats, I knew it was time. So you... Mm. I, fortunately, I, I was able to run the clock out on, on my body. So, okay. um, and it was, it was precipitated by, I was with the, um, I left the Nashville Cats and went to the Georgia Force. And I left the Georgia Force and finished up my career with the Detroit Fury in Detroit, Michigan. And was there for two years. And that last year, the team folded. So I wasn't sure if I was going to go back and play, but I, had, I, I acquired a sternum bruise. Midway through mm. the season, uh, bone spurs in the ankles. Everything was starting to fall apart and hurt. And uh, I had enough time to say, do I really, really want to play another year or not? And I think had we still had a team, I would have automatically just said, yeah, I'm playing again. But sitting home, and I said, ah, do I want to go to another arena team? I'm 35 now. Do I want to keep playing? And I was able to say, okay, now nah, I'm done. I'm, I'm, and, and that's also the same year my first wife passed away. So that was kind of a, a, a quick, abrupt uh, ending to, to the career. I didn't want to play anymore. So I was able to leave when I wanted to leave. Regrets. I do have one regret. Um, okay. I didn't. I, didn't um, I was with Tony, my rookie year, Tony Dungy. Well, my second year, actually. Tony Dungy. Oh, okay. uh, said, hey, we want you. He was the defensive coordinator with the Minnesota Vikings. And he said, um, I've got a, a safety coming down uh, that we're bringing in. His name was Robert Griffith. And he had a long career with those guys. And he mm-hmm. said, um, we want you to play corner. Because my rookie year, they, they had me play corner and safety a little bit in the preseason. Um, I was a, a tall corner, kind of a smaller safety. I came out with Lance Gunn and a bunch of 6'3", 6'5", guys. I'm only 6'1", okay. 3'. So, so, but I, I was a safety in college, but they said I always had good speed and corner feet. Mm-hmm. So I didn't push back against it. I did the corner thing. But my natural inclination was to play safety. I'm a hitter. You know, I like to be back there, play center field. And you can't necessarily mm-hmm. see the whole field from corner. So I didn't really like it. So I asked Coach Dungy the last game of the season, of preseason, to put me back at safety. He said, if I move you back to safety, I'm letting you know we need you at corner, so we probably won't be able to keep you. And I, and I said foolishly, well, if I go out, I want to go out doing what I'm most comfortable doing, playing safety. So we mm-hmm. played the Seattle Seahawks. That's when they were building their new stadium. So we played at the University of Washington's uh, stadium at the college stadium 
had two interceptions, 12 tackles, five pass breakups. But it wasn't a corner. It was safety. And they let me go. Yeah. Right? Oh, and man. That's oh. the biggest wow. threat I had because, wow. because he, he told me, he said, hey, and, and I, I, I didn't take the cues because I was playing well enough to play to, to be one of the players at corner. I wasn't going to be the starter, but I was they were looking for a corner. And I just was not comfortable because I didn't really play. I never played corner in college. I hadn't played mm-hmm. corner since Little League. Um, and I just felt more comfortable there. So I let I let my my desire to play do one thing overshadow the uh, the reality of what he wanted me to play. So that's my only. Yeah. Favorite. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that story. What an interesting yeah. story. Had I, had I, not, yeah. had I not done that, I probably would have been in Minnesota a lot longer. Okay. Well, I, I think it all turned out okay for you though. Winning the Super yeah, because if I'd have been in Minnesota a lot longer, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have ended up in St. Louis with a Super Bowl ring. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It is. <laughs> Well, let's, Ron, let's talk transitions and evolutions. You know, um, a- athletes, uh, oftentimes they got to get comfortable with change. They've got to, you know, with movement from one team to another, as you're talking about, maybe even trying a new position uh, or, or having to fill in for a different position from time to time. So through your transitions, what did you learn? What was something that you took away that said, Hey, there's uh, you know, I, this is how I adapt to change. What, what, what was a, your adaptation process? Like, um, I learned quickly that everything changes. Every, everything changes. Nothing is set in stone. Um, you can be an NFL player one minute and no longer be an NFL player and trying to get back in the league. You could be injured. Mm-hmm. Your career could be over. Um, you could, any, anything can happen. So what I had to learn to do was understand that um, God had a plan and that, that plan was going to take shape. And I had to be flexible enough to say, okay, I'm no longer with the Bengals. Where am I going to be next? Okay, I'm going to be in New York with the Jets. Okay, I didn't really want to go to New York. I <laughs> didn't, didn't have much of a liking for New York City at all. But mm. I said, hey, hey, I'm hey, here. hey, I'm hey, sorry. hey, <laughs> I'm sorry. hey, I'm I'm, I'm with Ron I'm on my that. Maddie, and the yeah, first time too. I got Sorry, there, Miles. I'm driving my car, and I'm I'm in at, <laughs> I'm first at the line, and the stop stoplight is red, and I wasn't rolling by the time it turned green, and everybody cursed me out and blew. The, so I, you know, small <laughs> city guy was not ready for New York City at all. Yeah, so, there you go. Um, great place to be, but I, I just not didn't a parking know. lot. <laughs> right, right. So I'm driving uh, here. <laughs> so so I just learned quickly to adapt. I, I learned to. Uh, Analyze the environment where I was. It didn't matter where it was. And it's, it's true in life now. Uh, I, you know, when I uh, had to move around from place to place as a college coach every two to three years, I had to learn mm-hmm. to adapt to a, a new place. It was hard on my wife. My current wife, she 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 didn't like the, the coach's wife's life because yeah. we were moving mm-hmm. around a lot. That's kind of why I'm not yeah. in college coaching now, because she was offered a great position here in Indianapolis. She's an executive and she just got tired of moving around. So she said, hey. NFL team calls, Power Five conference team calls. Hey, go take the job, but the family's gonna stay here in Indianapolis. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> so, we'll see you when we see you. We'll see you when we see you. So, but adapting, I, I've learned. I've learned to just make sure that whatever's thrown at me, uh, whether it's being a free agent instead of being drafted, whether it's uh, having to walk on in college instead of getting the scholarship, make the best of the situation and prove the naysayers wrong, and uh, you know perform at the best of your ability. Doesn't matter if it's as an athletic director, which is what I'm doing now, uh, or as a player, um, or as a dad, you know, or as, yeah. or as a brother, it d- doesn't matter what it is. You just have to be able to adapt because life is life is life and life happens and things. You have to be able to adjust to whatever it is that's, that's going on in your life. So. So let's talk about some of those hurdles that you had to overcome, because I think that there are many people out there that if they played in college and they didn't get drafted, they would have said, well, I tried, you know, they're mm-hmm. waiting for that phone call and they didn't, right. maybe they didn't have to, or they didn't, uh, go do what you did and tried to walk on. How, how did you, where did this come from for you in internally to just say, I am going to adapt and overcome. I'm going to overcome these hurdles regardless, um, to get mm-hmm. to where you're at. I mean, cause to me, that's extremely impressive. I just got to tell you, I, I, I see do. far too many people quit far too yeah. soon. Yeah. And they just never know the success that they could have had. And you're not that guy. You just okay. kept going. So where did that come from? My mother. Um, my okay. mother was my biggest role model in my life. Um, she would always send me when I was in college, uh, a Bible verse. Uh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 
all the time. Everything she ever mailed to me had that little post-it note in it. Um, so she 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 instilled in me at an early age that you can do whatever you want to do, set your mind to it. You you want to get great grades in, in high school, elementary, do it. You're smart enough to do it. So um, I never I never thought that I couldn't do whatever I decided I wanted to do. I've been playing football since I was six years old. I knew I was good at football. I didn't get a, a scholarship to play college football because I tore my uh, meniscus in my knee two weeks before two a day started of my senior year of football mm. high school. Okay. Um, and I wasn't ready come the first game of the season. Lateral movement still wasn't there. The uh, head football coach got mad at me and uh, buried me on the bench because they were counting on me. I hurt my knee playing basketball. <laughs> on some blacktop with some of my friends. Okay. Okay. So he, was, he was highly upset, so he buried me on the bench. So I didn't have an opportunity once I got healthy to, to do that. But I knew I could play. So I wasn't going to let um, the fact that he was upset with me and did what he did uh, change my path. I knew I could play college football. I just didn't know where I was going to be able to have the opportunity to do it. So, you know, um, when that came along, uh, a, a counselor at my high school had gone to Miami of Ohio. Ooh. Um, he said it, they've got a history of treating walk-ons, you know, a little bit better than the normal walk-on. Um, mm-hmm. So I called up and Tim Rose said, hey, yeah, you can come, but you can only come when uh, school starts, not when everybody else comes. And and it worked out. So I, I've always had the drive to, to especially with football. I, I wasn't very good at basketball, not till I got older. I was a, I was a late bloomer. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I've seen you play basketball. You're, you're a good basketball player too. Yeah. When I, when I was in uh little league and freshman, sophomore year, I was still like 140 pounds and okay. I was kind very confident. Tall, on awkward. Football. Yeah. Tall, awkward. Yeah. I was very confident on the yeah. football field, but dribbling. No, nah. but by the time mm-hmm. I got to, uh, by the time I got to my third year of college, I was playing, you know, with the, um, in the fraternity leagues and all that stuff. I, I kind of got better. Kind of, I, I kind of got stronger and, you know, could dribble more and all that, could jump, start dunking the ball and got better. So, um, again, same thing. People would say, you can't dribble. You're not, you're not good enough to be on the varsity basketball team in high school. Okay. So even after high school, I still worked on my game at basketball. Now, I gave up baseball. I was afraid of that ball. I didn't want to get hit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I gave up baseball. But I, oh, yeah. I'm always, for the most part, anything that's been thrown at me, I've been able to say, hey, if you want to do it, do what you need to do, practice what you need to practice to be able to get it done. Um, so, uh, you know, a, a couple of friends were saying, you're too old to get a master's. Why are you going back to get your master's? Eh, you're never too old. So that's why I went back and got my master's. Um, so, you know, I've always just, you know, I've, I've kind of thrived when, when people doubt me and when people uh, assume that I can't, um, you know, I respond with, yes, I can. If I want to, I can. So you know, that's kind of been my mentality. And I get that from my mom. My mom worked three jobs sometimes four jobs. Um, and you know, she, she instilled that hustle in me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, how, how inspiring is that? Uh, Last week we had, um, uh, Ron Williams, who is a, uh, seven time natural Mr. Universe, natural Mr. Olympia. Um, and you know, just a very accomplished, uh, bodybuilder. And one of the things that he said is resonating with what you're saying that you're talking about that, uh, Bible verse that your mom sent to you, that you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And Ron is, uh, is a pastor. And he said, you know, Steve, one of the things that I found in helping or coaching people is that people, will believe in God, but they don't always believe in themselves. And I think that that verse is a powerful one because it brings the confidence back to, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to say, if I work hard, I can make it happen. It doesn't matter what somebody else tells me. I can go get my master's degree. There is no too old. There's no too old for most things in life. And Ron, one of the things that's always impressed me about you is that you have, uh, and, and why I have such great respect for you is you're always looking for ways to inspire youth. In fact, I remember, I'm not sure if you remember the, the, the setup for this, but, um, you came to me one day and said, Hey, Steve, I want to do a, um, a thing for kids. I want to have all these kids come to the gym. I want to set up a youth camp. Um, but I want to spend the day just having the kids come and see and hold and get pictures with the Super Bowl ring. And then I want to do a free clinic with them and just have them, you know, uh, get out there and play. And, and I love the idea. I thought, man, that's, that's really cool. 
Um, I didn't know if we'd get five or 10 or 50 or whatever it was. But what impressed me even more is you opened it up to the kids and the parents came as well. And we yeah. had old guys out there. How many dads <laughs> had to see the ring? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was unbelievable. Get we away, had old son. guys out Get there away. that were running uh, <laughs> drills with you out yeah. on the turf. Yeah. Uh, right along with your kid, with the kids. So yeah. I, that's kind of a very long setup to say, where did this desire to inspire children come from? Because I've, uh, ever since I met you, that's been a hallmark of who Ron Carpenter is. Yeah. When so where's was, that desire to help kids? When I left the NFL, I, 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 I took inventory of what I wanted to do um, and what I was good at. And that's actually why I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a math teacher in the school now. I still coach high school football because oh, the thing okay. that I said to myself was, what was I put on this planet to do? What, 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 is, what is my heart's desire? What, what makes me happy? And that's working with youth. Doesn't matter if they're itty bitty kids, 5, 10, mm-hmm. 15, 20 year olds, uh, grown men. If I was couch, uh, co- uh, coaching uh, in the NFL, it doesn't matter. Working with people who are younger than me, because I feel like I've been through so much and I've learned so many lessons that I'm a mentor and I've got stuff to, to give back. I've got information that, that uh, people can use. And, you know, being that, that was at 20, 27, 28, 29, 30. Now I'm 51. Mm-hmm. Now I know I got a whole lot of information that I can. Yeah. Share ah, ah. So, so, so I, I just get along with, um, I, I relate to, to younger, younger kids, uh, younger people, uh, because I see myself in them. Um, some of them grow, grow, are growing up now in the same type of situation I grew up in as far as dad not being around, mom having to, to do everything, uh, you know, low income housing, all those type things. So I, I just, mm. you know, that's that's where that's where I get my joy uh, working with uh, young people. And, and that again, that's why uh, some of the teachers say, you know, you kind of have an unfair advantage. The kids automatically respect you because you play in the NFL. I'm like, half of them don't even know I played in the NFL. That was uh, 30 years, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. They have no idea, but because I relate to them so well and I let them know that I care, um, my, my students will do anything for me. You know, I don't, I don't have some of the issues that other teachers have as far as rowdiness and unruliness in the classroom uh, because they, they respect me because I know, they know I care. Also, because I can every now and again use my coach's voice inside and it's very loud. <laughs> so it puts them in a state of shock for a moment as well. But even when that happens, yeah. if I do have to get loud every now and again, they say, well, that's that's Uncle Carp. That's not some stranger just fussing. That's Uncle Carp. That's like my big uncle, too. I must have did something real wrong to get him to do that. So, so you know, it, just back to your original question, just my love for working with uh, young people, young adults, uh, wanting to teach them some of the things that I learned coming up. That's, that's always been my drive. Awesome. Yeah. What a, what a great perspective. And I love how you talked about that. You, you did a, you, you kind of did an inventory of your life. You said, what am mm-hmm. I on the earth for? Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's where this all came from. Yeah. It's funny. You, you, you reminded me of when the dads would get out there and uh, some of the dads were out, out there uh, <laughs> and they, they would be, they would be whooped. They would be worn out. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> By the time we got done, and that's good. Stuff. Uh, it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. We had we had fun with it. I always look forward to that part of the day, getting the kids out there and some of the parents as well. Now after a while, some of the parents stopped. They were like, ah, now nah, I'm getting a little too old for this. But <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun. But I think your energy and the vibe that you brought to it and the fact that you're so open with the kids and that you are so welcoming to the kids, you know, it wasn't that here's this guy that puts himself up on this pedestal. I've won the Super Bowl. I'm better than you. It was you were right there. You would get down on your knees and take pictures. You would let the kids hold the ring, take pictures with it. Um, you treated them as equals. You literally got even playing field eye to eye with them. And I remember watching you coach. And that was what was so impactful about your coaching is you always got on the same level with them. If you needed to talk to them and give them a correction and, mm-hmm. and they're shorter than you, which most right. uh, 90 plus percent of them are because they're kids right. and you're tall, right. <laughs> right. you would get down on your knees and you would, you would talk eye to eye with them. Right. But I think that the other aspect of it that I saw that was really cool is by getting the parents involved, by getting mom and dad involved, mm-hmm. then you've got this, triangle this triad of sorts where now you're given a message dad's hearing it dad's given the same message and now 
you've got this trifecta. The kid is going to grow within that trifecta. And so it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch uh, and very inspiring. Yeah. What, so I know you mentioned that mom was a great inspiration and that's part of what you, um, you know, what has led you to, to be a great uh, coach of others. Was there another coach or mentor when you were younger that inspired you to become a great coach or mentor to kids? Um, I wouldn't say younger. Um, <clears throat> when I was in college, uh, Terry Hepner. Okay. Uh, Terry Hefner was my defensive backs coach uh, at Miami. He's the, actually the guy. I, when I walked on, I was a wide receiver. I walked on mm-hmm. as a wide receiver and he came to me. He said, hey, Carp, um, you know, I, w- I would do the scout team stuff as a wide receiver right. against his defensive backs. And I would okay. I would outrun the starting defensive backs. I would, you know, catch the ball on them. And because I was walking on, I figured I had to make a kind of a spectacle. So if I would catch the ball on them, I would kind of stiff arm one of them. And, right. you know, I, I wasn't obnoxious, but I made sure that, that the seen. coaching staff saw what I was doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Coach yeah. Hebner took notice because it was always against his defensive backs. So he came to me and said, hey, they're not going to use you at wide receiver. Uh, we've got 35,000 wide receivers. Uh, they're not even looking at you. But I've noticed you've got some moxie to you. Uh, good speed. I don't have after this senior graduates at free safety. I don't have anybody else in the mix right now. We're going to have to go out and find someone. But you've got an opportunity to earn a scholarship on this side of the ball faster than on the offensive side. So mm. what do you want to do? I said, give me my jersey. I didn't even hesitate. Yeah. So he switched me over and he taught me after practice, he would do film sessions with me and he taught me everything I know about playing safety. Everything. Wow. Even, wow. even what I learned in the NFL, he had already taught me because he had some stints where uh, he was in training camp. Uh, he played safety uh, as a high schooler and as a college player. Uh, Anderson University, I believe, is where he went in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. So... He, he was my mentor, but then he became like a father figure to me. Right. So literally um, to this day, um, he, he passed away. But to this day, his wife, uh, Mrs. Hefner, <clears throat> I still call her mom. You know what mm. I mean? She, she would yeah. always, after every victory, uh, bake the uh, chocolate chip cookies for us and all that. <laughs> I grew up with his kids. His, his two daughters, one daughter was the same age as me and went to Miami. The other one was two years below me. She was at Miami. And then his okay. son, Andrew... Uh, was our water ball, our water boy and ball boy. You know what I'm mm. saying? And he graduated from Miami. So I grew up with that family wow. in that five year stint at being at, uh, at Miami. And he, he, he taught me everything I needed to know about football. And then he taught me life lessons as well about never quitting, never giving up. Uh, he used to quote the, the poem, uh, don't quit. To us. Oh, yeah. I, I pledged, we had to learn that. I'm an alpha, alpha, phi, alpha fraternity. We had to learn that, that poem. But he was quoting that before I, I heard it from him before I even heard it from my time as, as an alpha in a fraternity. So, um, you know, he, he was he's a anybody you ever talk to to this day, whoever coached with or played under Terry Hebner says the same exact thing about him. And that's that's that speaks to his character. He, he was the same person all the time. A great guy. He's I credit him with everything. Everything. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it really is awesome. And it's, uh, you know, it's really cool to hear you talk about uh, somebody not only seeing the potential in you, but mm-hmm. also saying, hey, you got great potential here, but we also need you here. So mm-hmm. uh, let's let's get you uh, educated and practiced so that you can fill into the to the yeah. space that we need you. So, yeah, it worked well, out Ron, uh, yeah, I, we're, we're coming up on our time, but I wanted um I, I, I want to let our listeners get to know you just a little bit more in terms of, you know, what else, what else is going on in your life these days? What's keeping you busy? I know you're being, you're a father, you're a coach, you're teaching. Uh, what's, what's keeping you busy these days? Uh, I'm doing a couple of different things. Um, I'm a network marketer. Um, okay. I'm with a company. I'm with a company by the name of ACN. Uh, ACN has been around for 28 years now. Uh, we're a marketing company and we market, uh, all the services that are considered to be essential services. So your gas, your electricity, home phone, cell phone, internet, TV, all the things that you pay within your home, uh, home security, um, mm-hmm. smart home technology, vivid home security. And we do this with all the um, companies you've, you've heard of, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, uh, Verizon, vivid home security, uh, whoever your power uh, company is in your state, um, we have partnerships with them. So whoever your gas and electric is, Duke Energy, uh, Indiana uh, Power and Light, you know, so 
So mm-hmm. and what we do is we offer people an opportunity to still be with those service providers, but com- coming through us, they get their, uh, their rate at a discounted rate. So you, you save money by going through us to get the same service. Um, so gotcha. I'm doing that. There's a, there's a, there's a customer side. And then there's a side where you can come in and, and, and be a business partner just like I am and build a team and, and acquire customers. So, we're, we're, again, we're a customer acquisition company. So I do that. Uh, I've been doing it for about five years now. It's been going really, really well for me. It's pretty interesting because I didn't really touch it during the pandemic because everything that was going on. But the mm-hmm. beautiful thing is that residual income that I earn every month kept coming every single month. Um, so yeah, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was, it was actually a, a great testimony to see that uh, the business actually does what it says it's going to do. You're going to earn residual income every month, month after month, year after year. And then the other thing that I've just started recently doing, um, I am, uh, there's another, everything with this pandemic, is, it, it's, it's breeding opportunity. And there is a, a machine um, that actually, uh, Deborah Burks, she was on the pandemic committee and all that. And, you know, she was doing all that with Trump and all that. Well, she, she's a part of a company now that has a, a unit a couple units, there's personal units, but then there's there's units for the home, for hospitals and things like that. Right now they're being tested uh, for two years in the Cleveland Clinic offices, all the surgical rooms, but it's a machine okay. that brings in the air. Uh, it does, again, I'm not a scientist, so I can't tell you exactly what, but it, it does whatever it's supposed to do to the air. It's not just a simple air purifier, uh, but it ionizes uh, the air molecules and it purifies the air and the surfaces uh, for so many square feet. Um, and we're, we've been doing that uh, the last uh, two months um, as far as getting that out to people. There's also a smaller unit where anyone with asthma can wear around their neck. It hangs around your neck. It's a unit and it purifies the air, the immediate air around you. Um, and wow. it, it reduces how much you have to use your uh, your allergy medication and all and things like that. So so me and my wife have gotten into that. And, you know, because we know so many people, uh, we only deal with services for ACN or this this is the only product that I'm involved with. Everything else is a service. But this product, yeah. this air purifier, uh, FDA cert, uh, certified and approved, um, experimented in uh, by NASA scientists um, in uh, controlled areas. So we got involved with that just recently. You know, my, my sister-in-law is an oncologist, so we've got a couple units that are going up to her, uh, her medical office. My mother-in-law in Mississippi is, is a nurse practitioner. So, so we're doing that. So again, kind of entrepreneurial um, in the fact yep, that, yep. you know, everything that I'm doing, it's to help people save money and or uh, to help for a better quality of life. And, you know, those are those are kind of kind of the things that I'm involved with. I, I'm really I'm really, really, That's really awesome. into the, I'm really into the ACN simply because, um, you know, we're helping people save money. It's not like we're trying to have people purchase something that they can't use, don't have enough money for. It's things that they're already paying for. We just save them money. And we're doing it. So. So sorry yeah. about that. That was a long diatribe. No, that's, that's, good. That's, that's, no, that's I mean. good. That's good. Yeah, that's a, that's what I want to make sure we got out there because yeah, I know you've got a lot of things going on in your life. Yeah. Uh, successful people tend to be uh, <laughs> spread out in a few different areas, and I know you are right. as well. So, yeah. Ron, what's uh, what what's the best way for people to contact you and and get a hold of you if they want to get more information? Um, I give people uh, my email address, so if it's okay, I would. You bet. I'd like yeah. to uh, put that out there. My email address is rcarp2277. That's R-C-A-R-P-2277 at gmail.com. Uh, that's the quickest Great. and easiest way to get in contact with me. Um, and then from there, um, you know, doesn't matter what it is. If, if, if it's another podcast situation, if people want to know more about yep. ACN or the, the uh, Valera is the other company that I'm working with, reach out to me and I'll, I'll get information to you. Awesome. Well, and on that note, uh, folks, it's time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Ron Carpenter, for uh, joining us today. Uh, and my co-host, Chef Miles, uh, up there in Oberlin, Ohio, and Drag Strip Casey in Las Vegas, Nevada. We've had yeah, a great baby. conversation today, and we hope that you, our listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. Uh, so Ron, thanks again for joining us today. Casey, how do people stay connected with us at Evolve? Join us on the journey. Everyone has an awesome story. Come share with us as we all learn, grow and evolve together. Join us at evolve-cast.com where you can join our Evolve tribe on Facebook. 
and then follow us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast. We'd love to hear from you. Great. And Miles, how do people look as amazing as you? Well, before we get into looks, you know, folks, you ever <laughs> feel like you ever feel like your coffee is just not hitting the mark? You feel like something's missing? Well, maybe just maybe it's not the coffee. Maybe it's the thing you're drinking it from. That's right. Your mug has ceased to deliver. <laughs> and it's time to head over to the Evolve shop and give your coffee a big boost by getting one of our mugs. And while you're there, look at our shirts. We've got the Great Evolved and Evolving T-shirts. We've got water bottles. We've got phone covers. We got a little bit of everything for you. So head on over to our shop and pick up something that speaks to yourself. I love it. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that challenges personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we travel to all of the national parks across the United States with 91-year-old Grandma Joy and her grandson, Brad Ryan. That's next week on the Evolve Podcast.